Terrific episode about exercise today for you. I hope you learn a couple new things, maybe maybe some a little bit of information here and there that sticks with you as it has with me over the last few weeks since I recorded this. And more importantly, uh, what I really like about episodes like this or whenever I kind of read some sort of book about health or wellness or fitness or whatever it might be. It's not just whatever information that I might glean from it, but it's sometimes inspiring and motivating. And for the last few weeks, I've been just exercising maybe just a little bit more than than I would have had this not been on my mind. Maybe making a, a few healthier choices when I'm out at a restaurant, something like that. So I hope that inspires you in that way and and you can make just a little take it easy on yourself you don't gotta you don't gotta change everything that you're doing in one day but maybe just a little bit of an encouragement to make the tiniest little bit of change that might make you a little bit healthier increase that well-being it's summertime this is the really the time to do it it's so much easier i hope you guys are having a good summer i've been out being active myself man makes it feel so much better so hope you're having a good one um and i hope if you're in the portland area my goodness august 8th this is going to be such a great show portland's helium comedy club which is well helium's a chain and all of the I think there's six of them or something. All of them are fantastic comedy clubs. Uh, If you happen to have a Helium Comedy Club in your area, but the Portland one is especially fantastic because it's in Portland, where not only I live, but one of the best cities in the country. And my very, very, very good friend, Dave Waite, former roommate of mine, actually moved out from living with him uh, to my girlfriend's place outside of Portland. Um, so so we uh, we lived together up until recently. We used to do this ridiculously silly podcast for about a year called The Riff Board. And he's just one of the funniest, most hilarious guys. So even if you're not in Portland, uh, check out uh, Dave White. Maybe you'll get to see him in your area. But if you're in Portland, boy, it would mean a lot for me if you could spread the word get people out for Wednesday, August 8th, Helium Comedy Club. That weekend I'm in Shellan, Washington. If you happen to be up there, Sarasota, Florida is coming up. Maybe adding some more Florida dates. Uh, got some Michigan dates in the works and, and uh, Midwest stuff being added soon as well. I, I moved back. Unfortunately, had a UK tour kind of lined up for the fall and moved it back to next summer instead so uh, I just had some uh, pretty cool opportunities come up for next summer and it just made more sense that way anyway don't need to get all into it but now I'm scrambling to uh, to fill my fall and I have a lot of things up in the air so just please keep on checking back as there's going to be more dates added soon so enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with Associate Professor of Exercise Science at the Department of Health and Human Performance at Cleveland State University. Kathleen Little is joining me today. Kathleen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, Shane. And you came out to my, see my stand-up, so that's it's always uh, a bonus. That's always, uh, I, you know, the people that... that uh, uh, come out to see my show are already my favorite guests. So you, you have a leg up on a lot of people. It's uh, big fun. And so this is exciting for me because a few things. We haven't really talked a whole lot about exercise on the show. We do some wellness stuff here and there. Um, we, I mean, certainly within talking about well, uh, a lot of the show is about like, how do we, you know, uh, lead a better and more and happier, more productive life for ourselves using, um, these, these interesting insights from, from science. And we've, we've certainly had, I've had like some life coaches on before and I, we've, we've had like meditation and we've had uh, like, I think an episode or two about, uh, diet. Exercise is something that not only do I not just know much about and I'm not a big exercise guy but this is really fantastic timing for me uh because I am uh this month I'm one uh, has been one year since the last time I had uh alcohol or cigarettes so quit drinking and smoking is smoking way worse by the way alcohol whatever I just don't <laughs> manage it as well and uh and then in December I started um rock climbing a little bit again and i've been doing little bits that you heard me doing material about crossfit and Mm -hmm. and trying not terribly successfully to uh to exercise a little more regularly and uh and so hopefully today i'm i'm gonna gain a few insights for you because i was thinking about it i was like okay now it doesn't take me a lot of like cognitive effort or anything to not drink or smoke anymore you know, it's been a year, I'm kind of past it. And now I can like work on the next thing to better myself. So this is wonderful timing. And I just say all that as well, just because I think it helps. Uh, some of the listeners like to like to hear the, the personal, uh, mm-hmm. some of the science grounded in the in the personal stuff. So I share a little bit about my own experiences as well. So why don't you talk about what just set up the this general, like I said, you're kind of the first. So general 101, what does, uh, I know what science is. I know what exercise is. <laughs> what is exercise science? And uh, and then maybe uh, some background about yourself, how you got into, interested in, and in, in doing exercise science in the first place. Okay. So exercise science is sort of an umbrella term for really looking at the body's both physiological and biomechanical response to exercise. So what does that mean? Physiological, what happens to your cardiovascular system, your respiratory system, your muscles, muscle contraction, Um, even on a day like today, thermoregulation. How does your body keep from overheating when you're exercising on a hot day? So all of these things are involved in the physiology. That's more my area. The biomechanics is more about movement, gait analysis, meaning how people walk or don't walk or run appropriately. Even athletes can like improve like their stride length, those kinds of things. So both the biomechanics and and physiology 
come under exercise science, but I'm more of an exercise physiologist. So um, what my students learn that, that major in this field is how the body responds to exercise both acutely, meaning if I put you on the treadmill right now, Shane, or put you on the rock wall and did all kind of measurements of your heart rate and respiratory rate and energy expenditure. So that's acute uh, exercise versus we can also look at training effects. Put you on a training program, measure you before and after, and see if you make improvements in your cardiovascular function, your respiratory function, your body composition or body fat percentage, muscle mass, those kinds of things. So that's more the training effect. So that's the acute and the training effects. How did I get into it? Um, I was a basketball player in college, and I wanted to be a basketball coach, women's basketball coach. Um, so I went and got my master's because I sort of wanted to coach at the college level rather than high school. And someone said, well, you, maybe you could be an assistant college coach. But I ended up taking an exercise physiology class, and I really loved it. I should back up. At one time I was pre-med, thought, thinking pre-med, mm-hmm. but being a jock, you know, an athlete, um, and medicine, so exercise physiology also sometimes falls under the umbrella of sports medicine. Is also it's sort of a perfect marriage of athletics and and medicine or science and and sports, I guess. So I end up switching over at that time, and now I'm glad because you know it's a cutthroat business having to recruit athletes and coach them and stuff, and so I, I love what I do. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, in in terms of. Uh, medicine there's so many treatments that are controversial or up in the air or not that there isn't with exercise and diets and everything but but like how how effective is this surgery or this particular like chemo treatment or whatever it might be but exercise is like pretty like if you exercise it's probably going to be good for you i'm sure there's things you can do wrong and whatnot but it seems like you can't uh it seems like it's it's not exercise is not uh not a fad that's that's going going to pass like like when uh you know you read on the news that burgers are great for you one day and they didn't realize and then the next day they're bad for you exercise seems like (laughs) if you're exercising you're doing something good for yourself more than likely yeah, I think generally that's true, but like most things, you can either not do enough or do it frequently enough, or you can do too much. You know, athletes that overtrain, they end up having worse competitive performances because their bodies never recover in between training sessions. So you need to do the right amount in terms of volume, you know, number of minutes, number of days, get adequate rest, diet and nutrition are still important. But I agree in general. Uh, any exercise is probably better than no exercise at all. We're built to move mm. from an evolutionary standpoint. The one time that I exercised a lot, I think I did, it was like a little overkill. I have an addictive personality anyway, and I kind of like once I throw myself mm. into something, I like really go at it. And so I was, it was another time that I, my only other time that I'd quit smoking and drinking, and it was the same so and I was like exercising like three times a day, like doing CrossFit and rock climbing and going for a swim in the ocean and all this stuff. And, and I, I think I might have been overdoing it, uh, a little bit at the time. And I, and, and looking back, I'm like, Oh, I could have, I wonder if I could have got more results with less work. Cause now that I'm, now that I'm trying to get back into finding that optimal amount and it, I, it definitely feels like there is, um, 
this optimized if you look at like the cover of men's health and there's this huge muscular man on there with perfect definition it seems like that guy's just spending eight hours a day in the gym but that must not be the case right so how how do you uh, what what is the um current research on uh, i want to know two things uh, some examples of some uh, some studies that you do like how some of this stuff is tested and um some of the the broader current like 2018 cutting edge knowledge of of exactly how much like cardio and this and that and mobility stuff and whatnot that that a person should be kind of striving for well there's 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 a wide range and talking about that that guy on cover of men's health one thing we have to keep in mind the general public maybe isn't aware of this is there's a lot of um genetic differences between people and even your response to exercise there are people we call responders and non-responders now Hmm. most people will get some benefit from exercise but i would never tell Tell you, Shane, well, if you do this program that I prescribe for you, you're going to increase your muscle mass by 20% because I can't predict that. It's based on the type of muscle fibers you're born with. We have fast twitch that are explosive, anaerobic. Think of your sprinters and jumpers. Then we have slow twitch that are more aerobic. Think of your long-distance runners, triathletes, that kind of thing. So everyone's not going to respond the same. But then there's hormone issues. That's why men can build muscle easier than women, even though both can increase their strength. Um, in terms of what's the right uh, amount of exercise, there are guidelines for that, but it depends on where the person's starting. There are guidelines for the average sedentary person that wants to start a program. Maybe he's never exercised before. And the, and the governing body for exercise science is the American College of Sports Medicine, and they put these guidelines out, um, periodically update them as needed based on based on the research. You know, the general guideline is to get 150 minutes a week, and that can be in, you know, three sessions, five sessions, ever how you want to build it up, at least moderate to vigorous intensity. Um, but athletes, that's a different animal. You know, they have to train at very high levels, oftentimes multiple times a day. But the problem with them is they can overtrain, like I mentioned. Um, there was actually a study quite a few years ago at Ball State where they took the swim team because there was a, a very famous exercise physiologist there named Dave Costell, who was a swimmer. And he talked the coach, and this is hard to do, to cut back their training by half. I mean, they were in the pool hours a day. But their their performances were stagnant or even getting worse. And by cutting their training, still quality, but they were able to recover more. They're, almost all of them, their performances increased. I mean, he measured heart rates, blood lactate, all kind of measurements. Yeah, I mean, it is, is more is not always better with it. I mean, I think about this a lot with, um, with meditation too. And they have, you know, I often do like a 10 or 10 to 20 minute guided exercise. And you hear about these, um, these yogis going into caves for months at a time, you know, meditating for eight, 10 hours or whatever. And, and, you know, they have MRIs and they can kind of see what's happening and how much benefit they're getting. And I, I just always, uh, think like one of these days, um, you know, a neuroscientist is going to 
have to explain to one of these yogis like oh you could have got the same benefits with like three hours of of meditation maybe even more than having meditated for 12 hours maybe three hours of meditation and a little jog afterwards would have been better for you but it is there i mean this is this is a complicated existence that that we're living in and and what's more complicated that we often kind of talk about in this show is like me what we are sort of built for um is not necessarily the environment that we are in any longer we're not you know we we aren't as active just generally for for our livelihoods and everything else um as as our ancestors were and uh and so these things are just constantly changing and then and then like you said depending on where you're at and what your goals are if you're a super athlete if, or if you're starting at the first for the first time there's like everything in science just an endless amount of variables that have to be considered so let's talk about me and my variables <laughs> because uh because hey i i can't consider everyone's situation this would just be like a good example of of uh so it did he say an hour and 15 minutes is it recommended is it was that what 150 minutes a week 150 so it's two and a half hours a week but you can divvy that up into you know five 50 minute sessions or three seven i don't know do the math two 75 minute sessions okay Um, generally we recommend it most people would benefit from at least three so you've got a day of recovery in between um now let me ask you so i go um rock climbing or or say someone's um just going to go like okay i'm going to spend that uh that 50 minutes three times a week just doing bench presses and bench pressing uh for 10 reps and then resting for a few minutes and then bench pressing again rock climbing is kind of you especially bouldering is a little more um kind of strength based intensity less endurance and it's, it's shorter more challenging routes and that is uh you know a few moves like four or five moves and you're done and then you're resting for i think rock climbers say about a minute per move that you did um so it's not the most it's not the biggest cardio uh workout in the world but you you mentioned um uh, you used i believe you used the words moderate and vigorous um so would would you say would you say cardio is well certainly an important factor but how how uh, would you rather people err toward doing more cardio in terms of in terms of just overall health no ap- actually you need to do both okay. so i was i was the 150 minutes is more really the cardio and then we would recommend oh, on a couple of additional days doing the resistance training now there's people with limited time. I you can do it all in one day. I just sold people on 150 minutes, and, <laughs> and then down, you just yep. lost everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, you could include that in, the resistance in, but I think generally the guidelines are, are geared towards the aerobic because there's there's separate guidelines for resistance training. So I think I the see. first thing people need to remember is all exercise is not the same. So cardio and resistance, they train different physiological systems but you also need a different exercise prescription to work those. Mm. So the guidelines I mentioned for cardio, for resistance training is a minimum of two days per week per muscle group, not necessarily two days in the gym if you're only doing upper body. And right. you want to do lower body a different day, now we're talking four days in the gym. And some people miss mm. that point as well. And then it's not so much by time or duration, but more sets and reps. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Usually a minimum uh, for a novice just beginning one to two sets. More experienced people could go up to four sets. And, and the resistance will depend on your goal. If it's strength, lower reps, meaning you're lifting a heavier weight, typically six to 10 for strength, 12 to 15 for more muscular endurance. Hmm. I'm, I'm curious, what are, the, what are the classes that you teach here? Like what are the okay, titles the, of them and what are they about? Uh, some of the classes I teach are, like I'm currently teaching a, a nutrition and physical activity class. Um, I have over my time here taught undergraduate and graduate exercise physiology classes. I also teach the research methods and basic stats class for our graduate students, our master's students. I teach an exercise testing and prescription class, which is sort of more the hands-on, working with clients, setting up programs for them, as well as testing their fitness. Uh, but we have other other of my colleagues in the department that te- one of them teaches an aging class, one teaches uh, a cardiac rehabilitation class, which is exercise for basically cardiac patients. Mm-hmm. So we, we do the whole gamut. I mentioned the sedentary individuals athletes, but then there's clinical populations that can benefit from exercise. Obesity, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, osteoporosis. Those particular diseases not only can exercise and a healthy diet help prevent those, but it also can be part of the therapeutic regimen for those diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when you talk about kind of working out a um, exercise plan for somebody, um, I, I guess this kind of de- depends on goals and everything. And, and oh, first off, uh, this because this is going to be relevant. When you said non-responder, or mm-hmm. there's non-responders, what does that mean? It, like, certainly, yeah, it's sort of a downer, but I, it doesn't mean no response. Right, just less response. Then. I think part of your, I mean, great athletes are born to a great extent, uh-huh. and even people that like exercise, there are theories that. People that like to move, there's a genetic a gene for that versus those that like to sit. Yeah, but what we I mean, got the sitting yeah. one for sure. But responders just means they they improve more. If I I put two people on the exact same training program, they will both improve. One may I improve see. a lot, and one may improve not so much. Okay, even though they will both improve. Okay, so it's not exactly. It's not not yeah. Non responders yeah, right. probably that's the term that's used, but it probably should be a low responder. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, okay. So. Question. The, the, now, this is what I wanted to ask. I I come to you and and um, I'm like, well, I I have uh, two goals. One is I want to be healthy as possible, as healthy as possible, so I can uh, you know be as happy as possible and live as long as possible. But I was also thinking the other thing I would I would kind of like is is to you know i've always been this lanky gangly goof and i just want to be like this ripped buff guy that you see in the movies and the magazines is there if i were coming to you with that would you i mean i suppose you you want to kind of cater to what people's wants and and goals actually are and what because uh because you want them to get the positive feedback from themselves and, and that would probably be self-reinforcing. But I, my guess is you would probably steer me in the direction of like, let's shoot for really healthy and, and happier and, and the longevity one, right? And, and that 
my guess is that is that those would be two different plans too, depending on which one we went with, well, right? It, it depends. So the first thing I always do with a, with a client, and then I, this is what I teach my students in the exercise tested and prescription classes. First, you got to where, what's the, where's their. You do want to talk to them about their goals, but you also know where they're starting from physiologically. So we always do a baseline fitness test. Okay, what's that? I come in to you. I'm mm-hmm. like. Fix me. <laughs> you come to my lab and I test you on all the components of fitness. One is your body composition, which is more than weight. It's your amount of body fat and amount of lean tissue. And we have a, a number of techniques that we can do that in the human performance lab. Okay. But body fat, I remember I remember in uh, health class or something in high school doing some sort of basic body mass index that I don't think was perfect or meant to be or presented as such. But... Um, it was, um, meant to be a ballpark. What, what's the lean mat? How do you test? Okay. So first let me go back to body mass index because most people are more familiar with that. It's a pretty crude index. It's strictly your weight and height in a special formula. I mean, I could give you the exact formula. It's not just weight divided by height. It's weight in kilograms divided by height in meters squared. And it is a good, a relatively good index unless the person carries more than average muscle mass either naturally or because they're an athlete, then it's going to be high due to muscle because it's only taken height and weight. It's not mm-hmm. taken the composition of the weight. And we're all made of some muscle and some fat. Lean tissue includes muscle and bone. But our body fat measurements that we can do in, in most exercise science labs can discriminate mm-hmm. between those two, the fat mass and the lean mass, whereas How? BMI cannot, body mass index cannot, even though it is – the clinical tool used because doctors don't typically measure body composition. They measure height and weight. Mm-hmm. Hey, how do those tools measure that? Well, th- we have a variety of tools. I mean, I could take you for a tour of our lab after this, but um, it can be simple from measuring skin folds where you deposit fat under the skin. and then it, I think that's the one I did in health You may class. have done that. Yeah. And then the equations extrapolate because some of your fat you carry internally and some under the skin. Mm-hmm. Then we have techniques like I, we have a te- uh, in our lab a bod pod it looks like a little space capsule when you sit in there and it measures your body volume and uh, your body fat is related to your body density and density is just mass weight divided by volume so they can compute your body fat mm-hmm. and then whatever your body fat is we subtract that from your total weight that's your lean mass which includes bones and muscles and organs and that kind of thing there's another technique that's popular on the market called bioelectrical impedance analysis. These are the, we have, we have lab-based machines, but you can get at Dick's or any sporting goods place or even Target little handheld device, and it's based on electrical conductivity. So it sends a small current through your body that is safe. You can't feel it. But uh, as you probably know, water is a good electrical conductor. Well, fat's an insulator. So based on how you conduct it, most of your water's in your lean mass and your muscles. So the better you conduct that or more rapidly you conduct that, the more lean mass. And so it computes it. So it's hmm. a variety of different methods that measure things in different ways. And so you other could specifically methods. like, oh, I want bigger arms right now. Or let you could do like a specific part of your body and figure out. But I mean, I don't know if that would make sense to do. But you hear about the guys like, building doing only upper body stuff and neglecting their legs well there there's real sophisticated ways you could track um, um, muscle mass changes like an mri or a cat scan of, mm. of a thigh or an arm we can also do we have another machine in our lab called dexa stands for dual energy x-ray absorptiometry 
and it can me- it's is designed to measure bone to monitor osteoporosis, but the software can also measure body composition. And the cool thing about that one, in addition to measuring total body fat and lean mass, it can measure these regional sites like arms, legs, torso, extremities. For people like you said that might be interested in only you know, monitoring changes in one particular area. Mm. And these techniques can use in clinical populations too. Think of people with muscle wasting diseases, cancer, AIDS, anorexics. So you can, you know, measure their baseline and then put them on some intervention to get them back to an, uh, an optimal body composition and track that with some of these techniques. Mm. So, um, I have so many questions, but I still want to, I want to go back to one I asked earlier before we move into, uh, again, cause most of my questions are going to be fairly broad cause this is, uh, I have, uh, no prior knowledge of how <laughs> exercise works. Um, uh, can you give me one or two examples of like specific things that you test here at the school, like studies that you do or research that you do? Okay. So I can, there's, there's a variety of things we can test in the lab. Like I said, if you walked in and I, I could do a full fitness assessment mm-hmm. on you, that's not necessarily research area. So right. you want to talk about one in particular or both? Um, both. Okay. So yeah. back to, I was telling you when you said, what would, what would you do with me? Well, I'd run you through okay. your total fitness assessment. Body composition is only one. Then I'd measure muscular strength. There's a variety of ways to do that. I could do a one RM on a bench press, but I could also do a hand grip dynamometer where you squeeze as hard as you can. Is that also measuring like how much I believe in myself? <laughs> because I sometimes feel like I could probably give it a little more effort than what I'm. It's in. definitely effort dependent. So we always <laughs> encourage our clients to give their maximum effort. Right. Um, so that's muscular strength, muscular endurance, flexibility. There's a variety of ways of doing that, but it's usually, it's called a sit and reach test. You sit on the floor and, up against a little special box and you reach as far as you can. You can really feel it in your hamstrings and that tests your trunk flexibility or your hamstring flexibility. And then if we want to do your um, abdominal endurance, we don't do sit-ups anymore. We do more crunches because not only the uh, traditional sit-ups like military style, full sit-up, maybe you did them as a kid. I did. Uh, put a lot of stress on the lower back for individuals that may have back issues. And you can sort of cheat because you whether you try to or not, you pull your hip flexors in to help. Mm. So if you want to isolate the abs, the crunch, typical crunch test, we sort of call it, uh, isolates the abs. Mm. And then the last component of fitness that we started talking about a while back was cardiovascular endurance. So we could put you, your aerobic capacity, which is um, we'd put you on a treadmill um, and have you the, the the gold standard would have you would have you in a, a system that would measure your oxygen consumption, your heart rate, and have you literally run until you couldn't run anymore. Mm-hmm. We'd be encouraging you, and we'd be collecting your uh, oxygen, uh, expired oxygen. We should have done all this. That's I called don't a know VO2 max. I, I could have done do. that. Ah, You'd have had to get here, get here earlier. I, I could have run you through it. Darn it! What time's your plane? <laughs> um. Yeah. I well. Well, I, next time you're in town. Next time I'm in town, I'll do it. Shoot, that would have been fun. They're probably, I don't know, uh, I can't think of a school in Portland, but most schools that yeah, teach exercise no, science. I mean, it would have been have fun this. for the listeners yeah. to, to hear where We could have given them your these. numbers, Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, now, a surrogate way, if you don't have access to a lab, is there's lots of norm charts. If you just go to a track and or a, a mild, you know, a, a accurately mile distance and just run it as fast as you can and you can that would estimate your aerobic capacity Mm -hmm. okay um all right so 
So that would be your baseline fitness assessment. Okay. Then by looking at that, as well as talking to you about your goals, is when I would give you some guidance on what, what kind of exercise and how much you should be doing. Hmm. So, oh man, where to even start? There, there's... Do you uh, within um, within your work how much because you because you talk about kind of what's happening in the body like when it's overheating or something like that when you push it too far but what about um, the the mental aspects like when I mentioned that I'm genetically a little more of a sitter or don't necessarily believe in myself but I'm exercising um, how how much of it it, 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 are there are there any general consensus on on things that are out there that are like um, you know you know like habit forming kind of reinforcers mm-hmm. that that seem really effective and, and work well like rock climbing for example has all of these different grading systems on on the on the walls on the different routes so you start doing like a uh, 5.7. That's, that's, you only pay attention to the last number. So you do 5.7, then a 5.8, and then a 5.9, and then a 5.10, and then a 10A, and a 10B, and a 10C, and a 10D, and then 5, blah, 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 into infinity. And, um, and so there's this very kind of measurable, and then you go like, oh, I'm, now I'm working on five 10 A's, and then you finish that. Now, okay, now I can sort of do a, a 10B. And so you always kind of, have some and then and same with like bench press there's this pretty measurable uh thing but if if someone's if someone's just going out to like the frisbee golf course or something like that to get exercise it's maybe not as measurable like what uh there's maybe not well no, now, now I'm kind of mixing up what I'm even asking um because you're getting better at that as well are there uh in, in terms of kind of um, measuring and ass- assessing goals and using that to show people their progress, to reinforce and to motivate them more. Are there any, um, are, are there any tools used to really encourage that? The, the, the more the psychological aspect of exercising than like the muscle index mm-hmm. aspect. So certainly there's many ways to measure achieving the, the physical goals, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, if I do a baseline test, I might have you come in once a month, depending on to see how you're progressing and how you're improving. But what you're talking is about more specific measurable goals, and that will depend on the activity or the sport. Right, right. I mean, I think I rock climb once in my life, so I know a little bit, but mm. very not a lot about it. Um, so, for example, a runner is looking if they're going to compete, either running longer or running faster. Same thing, you know, your aerobic right. sports, swimming and stuff. Um you know, team sports, it's more about the competition and teamwork and strategy. Rock climbing, again, I don't know as much, but you have those levels that you can work up to. Yeah, like men- something like that, because I always play basketball and baseball, mm-hmm. and it's just like not quite as measurable. Like, oh, I felt like I shot really well today, or like right. I had a good block or something like that. But it's not as straightforward as like these rock right. climbing ratings or a bench press or something now, like that. Now, of course, you know, for basketball players, every game they keep track of all that stuff. How many mm-hmm. assists, how many blocks... Uh, how many you know free throws? How many jump shots? All of that. But right, the right. typical Maybe average I just person chose not to because I wasn't that great at it. Yeah, the average person <laughs> probably doesn't keep a track of that. Um, 
basically kind of some of the point to the, uh, two points that I'm trying to get at is um one in terms of how uh, some some techniques that seem to motivate uh people psychologically to keep going starting from someone that is maybe not very interested in exercise but all right yeah i've heard my doctor yeah. say it for the 200th time and i can't deny that you know i'm not a healthy person and i need to do something if i want to uh be a healthier person and then the the other thing is um is there there is such an interesting mental aspect to exercise where um there's there there's some people that seem like they can like break past this barrier in their head that's telling them to stop i i don't like when my brain tells me to stop running i'm like okay i listen to it and then uh but there's things uh, like the the hardest rock uh rock climbing route that i ever did um back when i was climbing more regularly was because i i looked at it wrong in the book and i thought it was a lower rating than it actually was and so i was like huh well this seems hard for like this low rating but I should be able to get this. So I just kept on trying at it. And then I count and then I looked later and it was the hardest thing that I, but I would have never even attempted that route had I known what the actual rating was. So exercise and sports in general have all sorts of these kind of mental, um, barriers. So is there anything within that world that you, that, that you work on at all? And okay. So. First of all, you can measure the intensity, and you would know if you'd worn a heart rate monitor. Mm-hmm. If you knew what your heart rate normally was for an easier climb, you would know when you're doing a harder climb. Because when I wear one, when I'm either, you know, well, mainly biking, and I'm going up a hill, I mean, that heart rate's as high as it's ever going to get, versus I'm just on a flat cruising along. So that's one way. There's also something called the rating of perceived exertion, the RPE scale. Mm. And it's a subjective index, but we always instruct our clients to use it because sometimes heart rate's not always uh, dependable, especially on a hot day. Your heart's working harder to get rid of body heat. Or if you've had some coffee or cigarette, hopefully not, but before exercise, that's a stimulant. Those things can affect heart rate. So that uh, rating of perceived exertion is just a scale. There's two different ones. It makes it a little complicated. The original one's a 6 to 20. The idea was if you added a 0, 60 is sort of a textbook resting heart rate, and you add a zero to the 20, that 200, at least for a young person, is a max heart rate. So generally, the target heart rate zone is for aerobic activity, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 to 150, depending on the person, for Mm -hmm. just an average person, not athletes. So that scale, the 15, would be the high end of that, and it says, you know, moderately hard versus a seven or an eight is pretty light, and 19 and 20 is the hardest work you've ever done. Mm-hmm. They do have a uh, a ten point scale now, just because some people like even numbers, but it's set up the same way. So that's two ways to to monitor your intensity. But getting at the mental aspect and the motivational aspect, that's a little bit different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are naturally more motivated than others, and you know, sports psychologists. That's not my field. They deal with this a lot, and that might be a, someone for you to interview in the future. Sports psychologist. Sure, but. What I always I, I tell my students, when you're dealing with clients, don't tell them, you know, go out and jog or run or swim. Ask them what are the activities they enjoy doing. Because the best kind of exercise, there is no best exercise. The best kind of exercise is what a person is willing and able to do and hopefully enjoys. 
you enjoy rock climbing. Mm -hmm. Others would be either afraid or that just wouldn't be their cup of tea. Um, and once you identify, preferably more than one activity, I'm, I think variety is the spice of life. You know, I do some swimming, I do some biking, I used to run, my knees bother me a little bit now. Um, I do kayaking in the summer, you know, I, I walk dogs, uh, you know, I like that variety. But then there's some people, they'd want to do the same thing every day. That's, that's sort of our general nature. But the other thing that can motivate people is, I mean, I, I can some, I sometimes have the discipline to exercise on my own, but I'm better if I have a partner. Mm -hmm. Like I think I was telling you, I swam right before I came to this interview and I have a swimming partner. We swim a couple of days a week. We set up a time. Um, and if, if one of us calls off for whatever reason, sick or, or not, we may or may not do it on our own mm -hmm. because it's, you're just a little bit motivation, less motivation. Whereas I know she, she's expecting me to meet her at the pool and, and vice versa. And group exercise, some people like that, where they do aerobics in a studio or do Pilates. They they get that social aspect from it. Yeah, I mean, well, I certainly even cross, uh, well, even climbing, which I which I love doing. I usually climb harder if I'm with somebody else <laughs> than I do by by myself. And and CrossFit, just I mean. It's a little overboard. Sometimes I'm just like so annoyed with being like the last person by a long shot that it, that it's almost a little too discouraging for me. But um, but I still uh, try harder than I would have on my own for sure. Um, I I'm curious about um, yoga and mobility stuff is kind of uh, something that say 20 years ago at least in in the US wasn't something that was talked a lot about in, in terms of uh exercise I don't uh, I don't remember um I remember like stretching to touch your toes a little bit or you know doing 3 minutes of stretching before basketball practice or whatever but uh I I don't I don't remember even knowing anyone that did yoga when I was a kid growing up is I what what is how, how do you even measure and how do you even know like what's going on and what the benefits of mobility is? Yeah. I mean, are you like, I guess you can measure how, uh, like how far someone can stretch, but, but, but it, is there, is there any kind of known, um, index of like how, how, um, mobile you're actually kind of supposed to be in some optimal level of mobility would, would everyone ideally be a contortionist that can fit through or or is is some of it it, it seems like it's also like a little bit of a there's a bit of controversy whether uh, how important stretching before an exercise is and is that helping with with the exercise itself or is it preventing injuries or maybe leading to more but what is what can you tell me about where we're at with our knowledge about the the mobility side of things okay so so you're right we used to tell people to stretch before exercise now the bang for the buck is after exercise after, okay. when the muscles are warm now that doesn't mean you should just start playing basketball or rock climbing cold but usually we recommend just some low level aerobic activity run around the track hop on a bicycle mm -hmm. five or ten minutes and then do your activity or if it's lifting weights do some lower weights 10 reps and then start your actual program mm -hmm. because it was found that the stretching before wasn't really improving flexibility um 
and some people can overstretch, and that can actually lead to lead to injuries. So after the exercise, when your muscles are warm, that's when you can actually improve your flexibility. Mm. And the other thing about flexibility, you said, can anyone become a contortionist? No, because much of our flexibility is innate. We're born with it. It's the elastic characteristics of our connective tissues. Um, so when you see these great gymnasts and divers that can rotate and do all these things, a lot of that they were born with. Now, anyone can improve, mm-hmm. but when I measure someone who has poor flexibility to begin with, I know they're never going to have high flexibility, but with the st- appropriate stretching, they can improve it and get mm-hmm. to an adequate level. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had like my, my left foot I could get behind my head, my right, my right foot. Not not anywhere close. So you and it's were still a contortionist. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yoga does have a lot of benefits. Both an interesting. That's one activity. Well, really, I guess a lot of exercise in general can have some good, uh, uh, both emotional, psychological benefits. Mm. But it's hard to gauge that because there's a lot of individual variation. It depends. Do you exercise by yourself with someone with groups? But generally, mental well-being, and, and maybe it's just because you feel good that you did something that was good for you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's not a direct effect of the exercise. You've probably heard of the endorphins. I'm sure. not sure, even as an exercise physiologist, I've ever experienced them. I, I feel like I've felt <laughs> that, a bit that exercise of that high here, and I feel like yeah. I've gotten like just. I mean, it's so subtle that I'm like, I don't know if this is just right. my imagination or what, but I, I feel like subjectively speaking i've i felt that even like and that's that's almost a non-placebo effect for me because i usually tend to think that that stuff is like a bunch of bull and i'm not going to respond to it and so i'm like oh i do kind of feel a little good after that so that that leads me to think that maybe i will tell you i switched to swimming a couple years ago when my knees started bothering me running and i get out of the pool i have never felt so good after exercise and i've Mm. exercised my whole life Hmm. um so, and I think because swimming is such a total body exercise and it's not just cardiovascular and muscle activity, but this, I mean, I feel myself and I'm not very flexible stretching out and arching my back on the front crawl. And I'm so, I, I mean, I've never felt that good. I, I don't say it's endorphins. My body just feels good after. Yoga. There have been studies with yoga. Really? In fact, I had a thesis student quite a few years ago that she's a, like an internationally certified yoga teacher and mm-hmm. teaches a lot of our yoga classes here. And she was just curious, you know, what are the physiological benefits? So she took a group of people, did some baseline fitness testing. Then after a semester of taking her yoga class, tested them again. And she did find some benefits, increased flexibility, some increased strength. It's not the type of exercise you're going to increase your aerobic capacity. Um, I mean, what is that measuring, though? Is, is that comparing it against, like... Say someone would have been swimming with that same amount of time, would they have um, shown greater improvement? I mean, yoga seems like such a messy thing too, because then it's like it's a little bit meditative too, depending on the class well, that you're definitely doing. Definitely so mind then, body. Are you exercise. getting like this other great kind of meditative benefit from that? And then what exactly does that mean? And, and uh, yeah, that, it seems. It seems like it'd be a harder one to study. Well, they've they've measured people's. What I mean, there's I don't know the names of the scales because it's more of a psychological instruments. You mm-hmm. know, your state of well being, right? And you could measure that before and after that type of exercise. Mm-hmm. Again, this student was just looking at the physio- physiological measurement. Right. So we measured flexibility before and then after a semester of yoga, measured strength, and and, and demonstrated. Um, some significant changes in those variables, not in everything we measured. You know, it's not the best thing for controlling your body fat. 
Yeah. You need because you don't burn a lot of calories right. at rest, but it's great for the mind and people that are stressed out. That meditative quality, but you do get some flexibility and some strengthening, especially people that can do the advanced poses, which I never could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not big into yoga, but I I really enjoy it. I would like to do it more than I do. Uh, it's it definitely fits my personality, which is like kind of laying down and sitting down and like dog. moving <laughs> like as little as possible. That's why. It's, yeah, I like exercises where I'm moving like very slowly. It's uh, I guess the I think the sloth is like my spirit animal or something. As <laughs> I like like rock climbing is like very slow. It's almost like just doing yoga up a wall. Um, and then, but much more exertional. If you yeah. measured your heart rate and the strength that it takes to do that, because I did, I did it at least once. But at the same time, females are almost just as good, if not as good, as like guys at rock climbing. So it's not necessar- necessarily like just like a guys can hulk themselves up more because they have more upper body awesome. strength. There is a lot of technique and mobility mm-hmm. stuff involved, and it's. It's interesting. I watch, uh, I climb with my girlfriend too, and I usually tell her to try to watch girls as well, just because the techniques that they use are a little different. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about that sport, but I would guess if you had two equally skilled persons, a male and a female, the male would, and they did the same route, the male should get up to the top faster because of the extra upper body muscle mass, especially, but. I think that there is like, you know, when you get into the what the professionals are doing, males can do slightly more difficult routes. Than, I, I mean, there's no I don't think that there's a female that's like free soloed El Capitan or whatever, which mm-hmm. males. Have, but that's also just like maybe that's because of. No females like crazy or dumb enough to do that. Who knows? <laughs> right. um, but but it is pretty much like I I. I was climbing and I probably climb more often than my girlfriend does. And she climbs like pretty much the same routes as I do. And it seems that seems to be kind of the norm with rock climbing. It's I would think that's a pretty high skill sport, even though certainly it does require muscular strength and endurance and mm-hmm. some flexibility, but definitely a lot of skill. So there are, you know, every all sports are different in terms of the skill level versus just the physiological demands, that kind of thing. So. Uh, you know, trying to uh, kind of failing miserably, but trying to do the, the like CrossFit or something, something like that. I, I don't, I don't mean to like sit here and promote CrossFit. I just don't know what I'm doing and they're a popular thing and it's easy to find one in any area. Uh, I'm sure there's probably better options out there as well, but, um, uh, you go in and I don't know what I'm doing and I'm just trying to like, okay, I guess I'll just like, kind of do what they tell me to do but then i then i look at all the stuff that they're selling and i'm like well okay this i so protein after the workout i hear that's like you know pretty legit i guess that makes sense why that would but then there's like some pre-workout thing and then there's fish oil and there's a million different now i'm supposed to be on like a bulletproof diet and all can you can you help us out a little bit with with just i i don't no one's no one's gonna hold you to this or expect you to know exactly the perfect answer for everyone and there's individual differences and but but just in terms of like uh well if i was gonna have you do one of those things do the post-workout protein shake or whatever it might be and 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 the pre-workout thing it doesn't we we haven't seen any 
positive results for is there is there anything like that out there so it, it, it gets messy um and there are sports nutritionists that, that they do this for a living dietitians that also have studied exercise science and i am not a dietitian or a sports nutritionist but I, I am teaching a nutrition and exercise class right now um so basically it depends on two things the type of exercise you're doing or competition if you're competing um and your goals, what you're trying to get out of it. So typically the protein supplement after a workout is more for those interested um, in building muscle mass or even an aerobic athlete, if they do several hours of exercise, can burn some protein if they want to replenish that. Um, fish oils certainly have a lot of health health benefits. I'm not sure they're a specific exercise role. Um, you know, you probably heard of carbo loading before big long distance races, triathlons, uh, marathons. That's making sure that your liver and skeletal muscles are saturated or stuffed with glycogen, which is stored carbohydrate. That's gas in the tank. If you ever hear, hear about marathoners hitting the wall, you know, marathon's 26 miles. It's usually about 18 miles. They call it bonking, B-O-N-K, bonking. It's usually they, they run out of gas, and that's why they need to eat or drink beverages with carbohydrate in it while they're exercising. So there are nutritional guidelines before, during, and after exercise, depending on the type of exercise, the intensity, the duration. But it's hard to say what should you specifically be doing after CrossFit. Mm-hmm. Um, protein recommendations are you have general guidelines for the general population, but they are enhanced a little bit for what we call recreational exercisers, which I would say what you do is or what I do is versus competitive athletes. And they're elevated a little bit, but probably not to the extent that many people take mega doses. And my, I have a concern about gyms and fitness centers that they may be doing good exercise programs, but they're also trying to sell products. Right. And, and I worry about the bias there. Yeah, there is like sometimes there's like, Get these, get these like special grass-fed steaks that we're gonna ship. And it's like, dude, I know how to get steak. Like, if I want to eat, like, no, I don't think that there's a special CrossFit steak that you got. That's a, you know. So food is food, and right. if 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 you can, you know, read your food labels and you know follow general guidelines, you don't need special products. Yeah, but I mean, they're they're also you know. they're also great people that that uh you know put give give people like lots of recipes and tips and mm-hmm. stuff like that for free as well and you know and that can be helpful to someone that maybe doesn't know how to increase the protein in their diet mm-hmm. or omega fatty acids and that kind of things i prefer to refer them to a dietitian or sports nutritionist and some fitness centers hire them and that's who i would turn them over to um so, so the, uh, I'm sorry if I missed it, the pre-workout thing, is that, a, is that, uh, like, like I, you mentioned the carb loading before a marathon. What about, or other gonna, long you're, distance? You're going to do, uh, a high intensity. You're going to do your one, one out of three 50 minute high intensity or, or, uh, moderate to vigorous exercise. Is there something that, like, I, I know that if, uh, I, I definitely don't want to eat a big meal before a CrossFit class. <laughs> Um, is, is there something that I do want to make sure, I mean, outside of water, I guess. So the general recommendation is try not to eat 
uh, within an hour before an exercise bout. And you always want to try to say, I prefer not to eat two or three hours. Like I didn't eat it all, and I didn't. I swam at 11 a.m. this morning. And now you're starving here, talking. Well, to no, me. I went and had my pancakes oh, good, after. Good. Okay. <laughs> but other people who like to eat more frequently, that may not work for them. But mm. um, at least an hour before, you want to make sure you're hydrated, and generally something that's easily metabolized, so not a big heavy protein meal. Like you know, years ago they used to give. St- like steaks to athletes before a big football game and that kind of thing. And it was totally the wrong thing that now they, even them, they're giving them pasta or pizza, you know, carbohydrates, carbohydrates, the fuel you're going to burn most. You will burn some fat. And then with really long endurance events, you'll burn some protein Mm. on in heavy resistance training. you, you, You will burn some protein as well as, as some carbs and fats. Um, I'm not sure about the protein before, um, there may be some recommendations of that that I'm not that aren't on the tip of my tongue. Okay, but definitely the time for for those ath- for those people and athletes that want to build protein, you don't build it during exercise. It's definitely in the recovery. So build that muscle, re- right? So that yeah. recovery phase is more important, I think, than the pre. As long as you've got some adequate. And what what is it again? The the like the isn't there like a specific time window? I, I'm told that you know you want the protein shake rather than the bar because the shake gets it in there like right away. And well, any food in a liquid form, you are going to uh, you know digest it and absorb it faster. Mm. And probably faster is better. Okay. Um, you know, chocolate milk is a bit cheaper cheaper than some of the things they may be selling at your fitness center because mm. it's got protein, it's got the carbs. Especially if you do a low fat, like a skim product, so you're not getting, you don't really need that extra fat. And I imagine tastes, oh, well, yeah. not imagine, I know chocolate milk tastes much, much better than all of the, pro- well, t- that mm. was worth the trip <laughs> just, to, just to hear that. You And here you aren't a nutritionist. Give yourself some credit. You just changed my life. All right. One, one last, uh, one last little nutrition question and then, and then we'll get off nutrition and, and, uh, close out with more of a, uh, your expertise, electrolytes. What's the deal? I don't know anything. What's this electrolyte stuff? Is it? I mean, I was told when I was a kid to drink Gatorade to be like Michael Jordan, and later on, I kind of just assumed that was a a load of crap and a lie that I'd been told. And and uh, Michael Jordan sold <laughs> sold out it. Uh, but but then uh, you know, uh, it, it, I do hear electrolytes pop up into the. Uh, nutrition and fitness and exercise conversation still what's the are are we supposed to be buying these like vitamin water things or is regular water good i mean do you have a do you have a sense yeah the answer depends (laughs) so uh if you're doing an exercise of less than an hour duration water's fine if it's out in the heat like today if you're out running an hour in the heat you would need some electrolytes because when you sweat, you're not just losing water, you're losing electrolytes. That's really good to know. Right. Yeah. Now, you know, Gatorade, it's it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but they actually do some good science. Mm-hmm. They have a website that, you know, exercise scientists use. They do a lot of research on not only their sports beverages, sports bars, thermoregulation, heat issues, and that kind of thing. Um, and, I, and I'm not a... I'm not recommending Gatorade. Any sports, reputable sports beverage is going to have the electrolytes, your sodium, your potassium, your chloride, 
and carbohydrate. Now, you only need carbohydrate if you're exercising more than an hour that to replete those glycogen stores I mentioned mm-hmm. in your uh, liver and skeletal muscle. So it depends on the type and duration and intensity of exercise. The longer the exercise is, the more intense, and especially on a hot, humid day, the electrolytes are important and the carbohydrate. And, mm-hmm. of course, the fluid, the water. Don't forget that. Mm-hmm. But if you're in, indoors and air conditioning, less than an hour, water is absolutely fine. Okay, because I was, I was, I also wanted to ask, and I, and I, sorry that my natural curiosity sometimes has me veering off of the the kind of exact subject matter that the that the uh, guests would necessarily be an expert in or want to talk about. But uh, what if I'm I'm just sitting around watching a movie and I enjoy the the taste of a Gatorade or a Life Water or one of these beverages? Is that uh, if I'm not exercising and I'm, I'm drinking that, is that just like a bunch of unnecessary sugar and stuff that I shouldn't be putting in my body probably? Generally, it's excess calories. Okay. Um, I forget the exact, but there's significant calories for a reason for people that need those carbohydrate calories when they're doing long-term exercise. Mm. So I only drink it when I'm doing a couple-hour bike ride or more. Um, now, on the other hand, if a person's trying to gain weight... <laughs> Mm-hmm. They could use those extra calories, and you probably don't need those electrolytes. I'm not a f- fan of the vitamin waters. Okay. Again, I mean, vitamins are good for us, but if you eat a balanced diet, you're going to get those. And so I think it's just sort of a fad and a bit of a marketing ploy, mm-hmm. buy this water over that water. I mean, obviously, if you're deficient in vitamins or not eating certain foods that contain certain vitamins, then maybe you'd get that, it's sort of similar to a vitamin supplement. Okay. Controversial question for you. Uh, marathons. Some, so you mentioned what, what did you say? 26 miles. So someone's racing 26 miles just as hard as they can. Is this, is this <laughs> good for the general population to be doing? Is this like, I mean, certainly, uh, I imagine there's many of the benefits in training for it and even like, getting to have a fun time and accomplish this and push your body to the limit um, uh, once or twice in your life and have an experiment. But uh, also, uh, you hear about these mega marathoners mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I think uh, there, there's uh, the, the comic. I don't know enough about his regimen or what he does, but Eddie Azard, I don't know if you know him. Uh, uh, well, anyway, uh, he... Uh, he, he, I think he even like made some documentary about going and he was like running 30 marathons in 30 days. I'm probably butchering that, but it's, it you know, something that to me seemed Extreme. to sound at <laughs> least that crazy, if not more so. What, what's, are, are we, I mean, it seems like, uh, masochism a, a little bit to me. It, I think it depends, it depends on the person. Okay. So, if that's something someone wants to do and they train properly, if you train both your exercise program and part of that is your dietary training, I mean, you, you, you can't be successful even to finish a marathon, much less do it in a good time without doing the exercise training as well as the dietary training, what you mm-hmm. eat again before, during, and after. I've never done a marathon. I've done a few halves and a couple of decades ago. Um, I got a little bored running that far. 
Yeah, I get bored so easily. So I switched to triathlons, yeah. which I found a little more interesting. Oh, and, cool. and I wasn't doing it competitively. But then you, if, for people doing it competitively, it's like training for three sports. Mm-hmm. But I was more just interested in the fitness and it was less boring. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about extreme sports, I mean, have you heard there's a double Ironman? No. No, what's that? I guess I don't even fully know what an Ironman so it's a, is. So it's a particular distance triathlon. The, the single Ironman is you swim two miles in the ocean, mm-hmm. you bike 112 miles, and then you do a marathon. Yeah. So the marathon's pretty easy peasy compared to this. And now there's a double Ironman. Uh, and I don't know yeah. if you do the whole thing and then repeat it, or if you do four miles swimming, <laughs> and then 200. I mean, yes, that's what I would call an exercise addict to a certain extent, even though one of your listeners may criticize me for saying that. Yeah, well, I mean, I do. Or, I, I mean, I wonder sometimes, like, is this... Uh, should I even like mention a name? I don't want to like blow up someone's spot, but you know what? I'm I'm sure he can take it, and not that anyone's gonna get word to him anyway. But he, like uh, Tim Ferriss is this guy. He's all all the rage now. He seems like a really bright, accomplished dude in great shape, and he's just like clearly this go getter and like do it. But like sometimes I see people that are like you know. The, the have this kind of superman i want to call it a superman complex maybe that's unfair uh to them but it seems like th- this internal need to have like so much control over everything and having to be a conf- to me it's like at, at what point is that less healthy than me being lazy depressed on on the couch you know or is it just the case like you said that some people are you know just genetically you know they have whatever faster slow twitch things they have whatever they're they're just naturally kind of hypomanic in this Mm -hmm. stable way and only need four hours of sleep a day and they're hyper conscientious people that just really like their routines and are very good at sticking to them I, I, or uh, like, am I just telling myself that they're lying to me? Or well, so here's the thing, Shane. There are people. There's a a term for it called exercise addicts. Right. Okay. And some of them, I'm not going to say all. Some of them is just they're competitive by nature. That's their innate, mm-hmm. you know, motivational scheme. Others, it can be a form of obsessive compulsive disorder. I mean, we, that's in the liter- right. literature. Right. And you said like a people that want to control everything mm-hmm. think of an anorexic right um the, especially if their parents or their doctor says you must weigh this amount because there's a minimum weight to keep you out of the hospital mm-hmm. so they'll do they'll eat as little as possible but just enough to maintain that weight but they will try to exercise as frantically as they can as part of that ocd that can this mm-hmm. is the only thing i control if, you know you won't let me control my food it starts tr- for them trying to control their food by reducing their intake. But if you don't, if you make them eat, then, well, they can at least control their exercise. So they become compulsive exercisers. Mm-hmm. So some exercise addicts, I, I, I know someone, I'm not going to name any names, um, from years ago when I was in grad school, that his thing was to, I'm going to ex, I'm going to run every single day. I mean, even if he had a broken leg, he'd go hobble out in the track. You know, probably on one leg just to say I didn't miss a day. Right. He's probably done this for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. That's a bit extreme, wouldn't you think? Yeah. It's a little bit of OCD, a little bit of what an an exercise addict. But some of these individuals, a lot of their self-esteem comes from I'm able to do this. 
you know, 30 marathons in 30 days. Normally, most people, we wouldn't recommend doing more than three or four marathons a year because mm-hmm. you need that recovery time. That's That takes a big toll on your body. Yeah, I mean, while I was, uh, you know, being from Wisconsin, I immediately thought, when you said that, I thought of, like, Brett Favre because he, like, never missed a game and would play injured mm-hmm. and all this. And now it's came out recently that he, he opened up that he was on, you know, taking pain pills and that sort of thing through much of his career so and and that is certainly uh not a healthy lifestyle so so not all of these things depending on what you have to do to accomplish whatever exercise it's not necessarily making you a healthier person might be fulfilling whatever competitive need that you have or whatever but not necessarily good for your physiological well-being um so I, I have a, uh, uh, this is a good point to name the nonprofit. I have my guests each week name a nonprofit of their choice. And then I thought um, maybe we could, uh, you know, do that. And then I'll explain part two. <laughs> the little, because we're, we're going to wrap up here. Okay. So I, uh, I volunteer uh, every week as much as I can, at least once a day. I walk dogs at the Cleveland City Kennel. Uh, it's sometimes called City Dogs Cleveland, so that's sort of my favorite uh, charity organization. I'm not sure if they're a nonprofit because they are an arm of the city, but it's sort of minimal funds. Um, but there are additional needs like heartworm dogs or dogs that need surgery. The volunteers, we try to raise money mm-hmm. for that. In fact, talking about exercise, we have a, a team that's doing It's called the Burning River Relay. It's a 100-mile race. Uh, we have two teams of volunteers, eight Eight members, so they're each doing but maybe between 10 and 16 miles each, and they're all trying to raise money for city dogs. Then there's a four-team. They're each doing a four-member team. They're each doing a marathon. Oh, cool. And then there's one guy doing 50 miles by himself. So all of those guys are have their own page trying to raise money for city dogs. And so, that's fantastic. Yes, that's my favorite charity, I guess you would say. Awesome. Yeah. Love animals. Um, so I have... As we're, as we're kind of wrapping up and putting a bow on this thing, and I, I'm, I'll take, I'll steer this one direction, but you're welcome to go anywhere that you want with this. Um, I'm, I, I think that the the person that I care most about reaching with the maybe it's because it's the person that's kind of like me is is the person that has that isn't doing any exercise right now, isn't taking care of themselves uh, in any way. Um, I mean, th- those are th- those that segment of the population are the people that are at most risk and individual differences and everything else. And uh, I think probably for the most part, a lot of people would um, certainly like to feel a little better than they do if they can. And, and I think that a lot of people I know within myself, you kind of, yeah, hate yourself for not doing it before you try a few push-ups and you don't feel like doing it and you fail a couple times and it can be just so discouraging. And then you don't know what to do. And then you go into a CrossFit and there's these monsters in there throwing <laughs> the universe around with their abs and and biceps and and uh and it's just like what the and and you're starting from baseline and you you have like whatever physical insecurities about yourself that you might have and and uh you you know 
you probably know like a lot of the fast food that you're eating is kind of garbage and you can make some changes here and there, but you're like, I, I want to, I want to start making it. Well, I would say that because knowing from past episodes on this podcast, that small incremental changes tend to stick a bit more, but maybe, maybe you have some big explosive life changing thing you can tell me about you probably don't um but uh i so i have a i'll use a specific example i have a good friend named dave wade a hilarious comedian and uh he's he's not in good shape he drinks uh uh he's one of my best he won't mind me saying this at all uh he he drinks like multiple like big gulps a day he smokes cigarettes he Sometimes goes for a walk, uh, and, uh, you know, he d- outside of that, doesn't exercise at all. He gets like winded very easily if he does have to like go up some stairs or whatever. You know, he's a little overweight and stuff, not, not like morbidly obese or anything like that. But he's, he want, I know that he wants to do more. He even, he had a fun little project for a while. He called it one year Dave, where each week he had the internet vote on like what he would do for that week, like no bread or, or, uh, yoga or whatever it might be. Um, but, uh, nothing necessarily stuck. I think there was some improvements, but, but doing something like that, it was a fun idea, but it seemed like it was almost trying too many. It's not, you're not building a habit if you're just trying something for a week and then like okay i didn't eat bread that week now back to eating you know whatever i want uh, or on to the next thing it's not allowing any habits to take form someone does want to dip their toes into this wellness stuff and getting better where is a, a like a reasonable low expectation starting point and then on top of that Anything else that you want to add just in general from this conversation that we've had to close out? Okay, so what I would say to your friend Dave or anyone like him or her, um, first you got to identify what you like to do. I mean, I know people that like to do line dancing. They don't think of it as exercise. They think of it as fun. But it can be very vigorous exercise if done at a certain level. Walking's fine. Um, rock climbing, kayaking. I tend, you know, I like you know, something besides the typical ball sports, but whatever it is the person likes to do. If he can uh, get a fit physical fitness assessment first, that'll tell him where he stands. He might, maybe he's flexible, but he just he needs to lose some weight. And maybe his strength's okay, but he just needs to increase his cardiovascular capacity. Most reputable fitness centers can do some basic testing. We can do a lot more in, a, in an exercise physiology lab, but a lot of universities have those. Mm-hmm. You know, you might pay a, a nominal fee to have it done. But it also makes you, make sure that it's safe for that. Some people need a, a physician's clearance, you know, especially if they're overweight, if they have any pre-existing conditions or high risk. We want to make sure the, the old ticker is going to respond appropriately. But once he has that done, um, and if he can – if he, some people like to exercise by themselves. Some like a partner and some like a group. He has to figure out what works for him because that's – is what – that social aspect oftentimes is what keeps people coming. It's mm-hmm. it's easy to drop out. You know, the New Year's resolutions, they don't last very long. You're right. Exercise right. is a habit just like any other habit, smoking, drinking, eating poorly, etc. And you have to establish that habit. 
a habit and having an excess partner can help because it's sort of that accountability to mm-hmm. each other, to the group, or if you're paying for it, you know, um, and start doing it and give it enough time, maybe make a commitment for three months at minimum, maybe six months. And then if you hate it after that and you're not getting anything out of it, maybe reevaluate. Maybe it's the type of activity. I'm a firm believer start where people are. Like to go into CrossFit and feel like you got to compete with muscle heads. I mean, that's no fun. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming and it's discouraging. Um, so I would find an activity or a class that you like it's with people of. I want to start like a fitness thing like CrossFit, <laughs> but just for like real mediocre athletes. Yeah, the non competitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Usually your best exercise partner is someone that's about your level or slightly better. Because slightly better, they might push you. Yeah. But if they're too much better, then it's boring for them and you're working too. I've, I've, uh, run and biked with people. They were just too fast for me and I was like dying trying to keep up. That was not fun for me mm-hmm. and it was boring for them. So that doesn't make any sense. But someone's about your level or slightly better, that's okay, but not extremely better. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what I would suggest. And then as it becomes a habit, uh, if it's something you you enjoy, I mean, if it's something you hate, no matter how many times you do it, I don't think it's going to make it pleasurable. That's why I always say, what what are the types of activities you enjoy? You enjoy rock climbing. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not sure you enjoy this CrossFit thing, even though you do it. <laughs> right. I but mean, maybe you would with less competitive CrossFit people. Maybe. And and uh, when I did, I think I did CrossFit for nine months pretty regularly at one point. I had an injury and all that uh, fell off. But um, I, as I was starting to like not come in last every single time i was definitely enjoying it a lot more and i was kind of seeing improvements and everything um but i also oh shoot what was i going to uh, oh you, you know another th- thing that i've found i don't know if this is like good for any but i just like if my if i'm sitting at home and my brain is like oh i could do some push-ups like right now i will just drop everything and do those push-ups in like that 10 second window where my where whatever happened in my brain that's giving me um enough motivation in that moment to do those push-ups seems to be um at least it's something at least it's better than sometimes when just trying to jump into say crossfit or something like that and having to plan and like oh i'm gonna go at 3 30 and then i tend to it's you know personality differences i'm sure but i tend to like 3 30 rolls around i'm like i don't i don't think i want to go to that because uh, the planning and the experiential mm-hmm. self and and uh and so i'll just if i'm feeling the slightest bit of motivation i'll be like oh, i'm not gonna wait i'm just going to There's nothing wrong with that, that now. i mean a lot of people like to exercise at home it's convenient if they have the equipment in front of their tv watch a movie watch a show mm-hmm. i personally hate to exercise indoors so it doesn't work for me mm-hmm. other than swim the swimming pool it's indoors but you know everything else i do outside walking hiking mm-hmm. um kayaking biking all that stuff but yeah, if if you're feeling motivated, that's the best time to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hiking's a great thing because uh, it doesn't really 
necessarily have to feel like exercise because the very idea of exercise for a lot of people, including myself, is just like I hear the word. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do that thing. And that's part of our culture, too, is more is better. And it doesn't have to be that way. Hmm. This is exercise, any kind of muscle contraction. That's not necessarily the best exercise. So any kind of movement. You're burning calories more so than sitting. Mm-hmm. And I love hiking. And, or, you know, there's a saying, walk a hound, lose a pound. Get a dog or walk your friend's dog. It just gets people out of the house, gets them walking. Obviously, you can always do more intense activity. We have a running group at the City Dogs that takes the dogs running because the people like to run. I'm not a runner anymore, so I don't go. And it's good for the dogs to get out of the kennel. Um, so sometimes you can sort of merge your passions you know, your volunteer activities with your exercise. and, um, But, yeah, there's nothing wrong with doing push-ups right in front of the TV. Cool. Yeah. Just whatever. Just yeah. do something. Do something. Well, it is because that's – you mentioned New Year's, and we – I mean, we've had uh, – we had an entire episode about New Year's mm-hmm. resolutions and kind of how they most often fail. But there, I do find that if there are these – any kind of excuses that you can make for yourself, which uh, even if it, I mean, it often is like, I do find if I'm like, okay, it's my birthday. I'm turning 38. Now I'm going to turn it all around. It's just that I've raised the bar too high for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but if I am, if I am like, uh, like, well, I'm, I'm going to, uh, um, I I don't know like like I I'm going uh to some event in like a month or something like that like I have a TV appearance or, I, or my high school reunion is mm-hmm. coming up in a couple of weeks you know maybe if I start doing like I'm I'm not going to like uh, see any noticeable difference but maybe I'll be like just a hair happier by mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks just from whatever endorphins might be or whatever so like any little excuse that i can find like that i try to use but yeah it's tricky figuring out uh, without setting the bar like too high for myself motivation is the is the hardest thing both to get people to exercise and to get, get them to stick with the program mm-hmm. um and that's why i suggest you know it, unless you really like to exercise by yourself find a partner group um but you know even, th- even organizations like Weight Watchers, how are they successful? Because they get people to write it down, everything you eat, everything you drink, as well as everything you do. And sometimes looking at it in living color, that can be motivating. Yeah. Well, I didn't do very much. I just sat around all day. Or, gosh, all I did was eat junk food today. Right. That kind of thing. Um, whatever motivates people. Everybody wants to look good at their high school reunion or the wedding, and right, et cetera. Right. But it... It, it needs to be more than an event. It, it's, okay. We like to teach it as a, as a lifestyle. Right. Um, mm. Keeping your mind and your body active is good for your both your mind and your body health. Mm-hmm. And it certainly has can help prevent a lot of diseases, including diseases of the mind and even dementia and things like that. Yeah, you might find. Uh, <clears throat> I, I certainly did. And who knows how much of it is all just a placebo or in your head or i i don't even know what that necessarily means some of the time um because isn't it all in your head anyway but um i do think that there is a level of clarity and focus that comes with regular exercise um that 
that isn't isn't talked about that much. So if I mean most people do care about being a, a little healthier and maybe a little more productive at work or or around their family or whatever it might be or more patient around their family and exercise can help with that as well in some cases i think that's probably a hard thing to test but to me it seems like it adds some level of focus and clarity and overall well-being as well so um so yeah lifestyle mm-hmm. uh all right well thank you so much kathleen for joining me <laughs> It's uh, it's so nice to meet you. Did you have anything else to add? Uh, I think we, I think we solved all the world's problems just here in <laughs> in an uh, hour and twenty minutes. We we actually did much longer than I uh, anticipated um, because this is such a terrific conversation. So thank you for joining me. And I want to hear about how your exercise program is going. Oh no, <laughs> no, no! Don't make me be accountable. Um, all right, accountability. It works. But all right, I'll, I'm going to email you monthly updates <laughs> alright well uh, thank you Kathleen and thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you next week next week on the program on Portland State University of Vancouver right by where I live now talking with Allison Coffin about fish hearing did you know fish hear did you know they have ears do you know that they have cells for hearing that regenerate and if you can figure out how they do that maybe in the future the same cells same type of cells that humans use for hearing uh, might be able to regenerate as well we might be able to uh, prevent some hearing loss and maybe even in the distant future regenerate lost hearing absolutely incredible stuff so much potential there really interesting episode and since next week is a is a, such a cool scientific academic episode it's a good enough time to to share with you some trepidation i've had a little second guessing myself that i've had recently whenever i do it uh i i just like to throw it out there and um and bore you guys with it I, I, <laughs> do you like how I don't, I don't believe in myself ever? I just, I'm always like, well, I'm probably boring you guys with this behind the scenes information. You know me by now. I'm not, maybe, maybe five years from now. I'm five year plan. Maybe I'll have some confidence. We'll see. Um, but anyway, I've had a, I've had a few episodes. I'm always, you, know, you picked up on, I, I triple guess everything that I do in life for the most part, but yet still an impulsive person. Anyway, I've had some episodes uh, that have come together for various reasons where they're uh, they're not the most scientific episodes. I have a few that are going to be coming out uh, in the future. I'm, I'm trying to space them out a little bit, but especially with the summertime and having a lot of academics off for the summer and, and, and traveling and having a harder time getting a hold of some of them. There might be a few more of these episodes coming out, and I'm I'm not saying this to talk poorly about any guests that I've had because they're all great episodes. The reason I bring it up is because they do deviate a bit from uh, the certainly the classic model of uh, scientific method and academia. And that's, I've had episodes in the past that uh, that where I'm not talking with academics as well. 
But I just wanted you to know, so when you hear these, you're not like, what happened to the Here We Are podcast? It's lost its scientific rigor. Um, no, that's not the case. We're just uh, just hearing some different points of view is all. Um, and, and they just felt a little off-brand for me. So it's a learning experience. I'm not sure how much of that we're going to do um, in the future. But it, it's definitely great to hear different people's perspectives it's just that there's so many other podcasts out there where you can hear um more philosophical things or new agey things or life coachy things or whatever what have you there's there's a a bunch of different podcasts if that's what you're into and so uh i'm I'm probably gonna try to reel it in a little bit and kind of stay on brand not that in my personal life i don't like uh, hearing all those different takes but i just thought i'd throw that out there just so uh you didn't think that that um that the standards uh for my guests have fallen apart or anything like that they're still great episodes and uh other than that thanks for supporting me on patreon that means a lot pays for this podcast I'll get more stuff up there soon. Um, I've been... I put some content up. I have more to put up as well. Uh, But I'm mostly excited about documentary and my new stand-up act that I have and a few other projects that I'm working on. So if you do support me on Patreon, it helps pay for the Here We Are podcast. And you'll get a little bonus content here and there. But I had to stop stressing myself out about trying to get a bunch of extra additional content out there and putting out like kind of poor quality stuff just because it's content. Uh, I think that most of you are going to benefit from me just um, uh, finishing uh, these other higher quality projects that I'm working on. So in case you're wondering when there's going to be more everything podcasts on Patreon or whatever, there's going to be some more soon, but I just can't keep up with once a week. Uh, right now because I have a zillion other things going on and thanks for supporting me on um, on iTunes with your ratings and reviews and please once again if you're in Portland on August, Wednesday August 8th fantastic show me and one of my dear friends and one of the funniest guys I know Dave Waite joining me at Helium Comedy Club in Portland those of you that listen all the way to the end get to hear that i almost forgot about jamaica uh oh my goodness guys jamaica what are the dates that we added you get to hear how disorganized i am uh live because i'm not going to re-record this we're just going for it um so jamaica uh december 15th through the 22nd just before christmas we added on a uh, an extra retreat because all of them for the entire year have sold out. So doing another retreat that I'll be helping facilitate with December 15th through the 22nd. Fantastic opportunity and uh, might be a wonderful Christmas present to yourself or uh, or your and or your significant other. And you'll get a little sun for the holidays and a little uh, a little break from the cold during winter so uh check that out michael meditations and you can find it through shanemoss.com going on my on my tour dates page as well 
And if you have any questions about that, you can email me. But Michael Meditations has many more um, answers to your questions than I do. So check out MichaelMeditations.com. And I hope to see you there. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my favorites. <laughs>